This is the John Oakley Show podcast. And away we go. Topics worthy of discussion for Pizzaville. Dial pound 3636. It's the Friday edition, which uh, sees some familiar faces, <laughs> others not so much. Michael Giles is one such familiar. In government 30 years and uh, currently chief of staff to Deputy Mayor Anna Bailau. Good to have you here, Michael. Good to be here. I'm not an operative this week. You're not. You're an apparatchik <laughs> is what you are. <laughs> Peter Tabbins has joined us, the uh, NDP MPP for Toronto Danforth and their energy and climate change critic. Peter, how are you? John, I'm doing well. It's nice to be here on a Friday. Yes, it is. Good to have you here as well. And uh, Jocelyn Bamford is in-house, first time, president and founder of the Coalition of Concerned Manufacturers and Businesses of Canada. Jocelyn, how are you? Welcome. I'm happy to be here, finally. Make the cut. <laughs> Make the cut. All right. <laughs> the bar's not raised all that high. <laughs> Look around you. Yeah. And if it were, you'd still be under it, Giles. <laughs> That's right. Be careful what you wish for, Jocelyn, is all I can tell you. Well, I'm happy to be with you all today. Well, all right. Uh, before I get uh, into it, well, let me actually get into it this way, because we had Andrew Shear on uh, last hour in response to, I guess, what some are saying is uh, an irresponsible claim, but he talked about the hypothetical Liberal NDP coalition, and uh, with the two of them running a deficit, these are his words, of $40 billion next year alone, to pay for even half of these never-ending deficits, he says, the Trudeau-NDP coalition would have to raise the GST from 5% to 7.5% or cut completely the Canada social transfer to the provinces, would have to by way of a hypothetical scenario. And uh, some people were saying, well, he doesn't have any proof that the Liberals are going to do this. I understood it to be hypothetical. I get that, uh, whereas many may not. That's what separates me from the herd. But still, it did, did beg the question of, uh, well, Maybe maybe they would just run structural deficits, 40 billion, 50, 60. What does it matter? People don't care anymore anyway, seemingly, with all these promises that are being, you know, uh, basically thrown against the wall. And uh, I'm going to ask you, first of all, Jocelyn Bamford, as the president and founder of the Coalition of Concerned Manufacturers and Businesses of Canada, do deficits and debts still matter? Absolutely, they matter. You can't run a business without making money and having a continual deficit. Eventually, you go bankrupt. And the exact same thing happens federally. If you are spending more financing the deficit, paying your interest, then that's money that could go to services. So it, it doesn't take a rocket science to fig- scientist to figure out that we need to ke- keep our debt under control because you take that, you can use that money for your services and not for servicing your debt. So it's irresponsible to drive up the deficit so high that you will never pay it off. And we are leaving that for our children. And I don't want to have, I have three children. I don't want to have them laden with debt. Um, I don't want to be a country like Venezuela where they're not going to have toilet paper. So let's face it, we need to get our stuff under control. And that deficits are part of that. Well, let me ask Peter Tabbins, because, you know, when uh, Sheer cites that uh, this would be an NDP liberal coalition, and Jagmeet Singh has uh, rung up some incredible uh, costs on programs that he's proffering. Uh, you know, I mean, $40 billion. The two promises combined, uh, that's what they would be. I mean, I've ascertained that myself. How do we pay for this stuff? Well, first of all, I don't have any confidence in Andrew Shear's assessment of what something will cost and what impact will have well, wait on... Wait a minute. The financial accountability I, officer has costed these I, out. That's I, a mandate. I, I'm not going to have give any 
credibility to Andrew Shear's speculation. Well, I'm about saying what's it's going not on. him. If I, if I can go back, John. These are fully costed. If I can go back, John. The, <laughs> the critical thing is if you don't tax wealthy people, if you give them tax havens abroad, uh, and Bill Morneau and Justin Trudeau know very well that they could have cracked down on tax havens abroad. If you're losing out on all kinds of revenue, then, yeah, you're going to have trouble paying your bills. Paul Martin, when he was Prime Minister of Canada, brought in what he called the biggest tax cuts in Canadian history, $100 billion. The problem in Canada is that the wealthiest are not paying their fair share, mm. and working people who are just trying to get by, uh, middle-income uh, manufacturers and businesses just trying to get by are all carrying the freight, and the people at the very top are not. And right. So taxing the wealthy is the panacea. That's going to change and well, afford you, us all these programs. Do you think programs? that wealthy people should be able to park all their income abroad in Panama or some other tax haven and not pay their fair share? Do you think Amazon should pay their fair sh- taxes in the United States when they're paying very, very little money? Well, you're raising you another think? interesting avenue for revenue. I get it. Uh, no, yeah. no. But when rich people... Uh-huh are able to eliminate paying taxes or minimize paying taxes and everyone else carries the freight, you're going to have financial problems. Why isn't Scheer, why isn't Trudeau talking about the need to actually deal with all of this, um, what can I say, favoritism towards the total most wealthy people in this country. All Why right, is well, he taking that on? And that's what you're going to have to do if you're actually going to have a country well, that functions. They, they are, at least he's offering something that makes sense, too, by cutting out, you know, 25% of foreign aid. And, uh, you know, uh, corporate, this is, again, uh, something that's right in your wheelhouse, uh, corporate welfare. Yeah. He would eliminate that. Yeah, yeah that's yeah, a good yeah, answer. You know what? I, I got the same junk from Doug Ford okay. before the last election. Let, let me he's go to Michael. Let, let me go stuff. to Michael. Well, you know what? We're getting the same junk about spend, spend, spend into a hole that we can, may never recover from because uh, everybody's got pie-in-the-sky plans on offer here, Michael. How about it, though? The deficit's going up and up and up. I mean, Justin Trudeau promised, you know, initially they're going to be modest deficits for a year or two. Well, he tripled it as soon as right off the hop. Now we've got, uh, I guess, the Auditor General saying we're going to be in hawk till 2047. I'm not just pulling a number. This is what he said. Uh does it even matter? Do you think people even concern themselves with this kind of stuff? I think people do. I think the the scale of it makes it difficult for people to fully comprehend the nature of, of deficits. I mean, and you know, I, I mean, fiscally, yeah, fiscal responsibility is extremely important. Uh, likewise, you know, the uh, to, to Peter's point, uh, you know, the large corporations, for example can do tax deferrals that people can't, you know, so why would you be allow a large corporation to defer income to another year where they have a lower income so they can pay less tax? Like, let everybody pay their fair share of tax. And, uh, you know, that includes people who are wealthy and, and, and that kind of thing. So there, there, would, there is ways of remedying this. Uh, deficits are very concerning. I mean, I, I always look at this statistic that talks about um, servicing our debt. $26 billion a year to service our national debt. You think of what you could do with $26 billion per year. Now, I'm not saying that that, you know, obviously encompasses everything. There are things like major infrastructure projects where you will finance over long periods of time. But it is concerning when you have $26 billion in debt uh, or servicing costs. And I think there's, you know, there's there's been a sort of a an acceptance of this kind of debt levels. And I think it also, you know, it, it, all, it begins in, to some degree in, in our personal finances. You know, it, it, and I was two years old, this statistic, but uh, Canadian have $142 billion in lines of credit. Like that's $142 billion that people owe in lines of credit that are generally tied to interest rates, 
And so uh, if your prime goes up, how are they going to pay those things? You know, you have a, a $2 trillion personal debt load in this country. And I don't know how people will ever get out of that kind of thing. So I think it's become this institutionalized notion that debt is okay. My concern is that, you know, and, and I'm, Canada is not Greece and it is not some of these other countries. It has a much more robust economy. It has a innovation. It has everything else. It has resources. So it has the ability to recover significantly from these kinds of, you know, after the economic shocks that come. But having said that, at some point, we have to pay back what we borrow. Well, yeah, because it's deferred tax for future generations. That's and right. I'm just wondering, you know, if young people are uh, mindful of that. The other thing is, if you can grow the economy, uh, perhaps then, you know, uh, your debt to GDP ratio is still uh, manageable. But, you know, when you say uh, tax on the wealthy, Peter, or uh, paying their fair share, these are subjective terms. I mean, I'm not sure They're how not we... not subjective at all. How do you I, define wealthy? And, 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 wealthy... Uh, in our our platform, if you've got twenty million bucks in assets, you should be paying a wealth tax on an annual basis. Very few people in Canada have that. Yeah, but so the people it, who have that kind of money, if that tax was put in place, would be paying an extra almost six billion a year into yeah, that was the calculation that we did. Really, six billion a year into how many the people have Treasury. twenty million dollars in assets in this country? Just out of curiosity, I don't know the number that have it. I know the number that would be produced if you actually charged them. One percent, or you're but, saying they would sit here and take it, or would they scram to other ju- jurisdictions? They, in fact, when you look at the history of taxes being changed in different jurisdictions, people stay in the jurisdictions they're in. I know Jocelyn will have an argument and we'll get into that <laughs> I, one. But I, I completely but I'm just, disagree. I, I'm I completely preempting disagree. you, Jocelyn. I'm going to preempt you, though. <laughs> um, the reality is that we have an awful lot of money in this country, and historically, we had much higher taxes, which is how we got schools, roads, uh, subways built, and we've continually cut back the taxes on the wealthiest. Well, and how come we're losing foreign direct investment? How come manufacturing has left the country? I mean, we're down, I guess, by 80% of foreign direct investment over the last five years, Jocelyn? Yeah, people are fleeing. So I, I was, uh, before, when we were sitting outside, I was telling about uh, the vice president of our coalition who had to make the difficult decision to move his business to Virginia. Not that he wanted to. Last thing he wanted to do. But he couldn't make a go of it here with all of the additional cost, uh, electricity uh, costs at 22 cents a kilowatt hour when in the States it's between four and seven cents. And I'll show you my bill uh, that I brought with me to show you that's true. Um, and uh, a, a carbon tax or which is adding huge amounts of cost to energy, unaffordable energy. Um, the other thing that people don't understand is as you destroy a resource sector, manufacturing feeds off the resource sector. We coat parts for the resource sector. People fabricate things in in Canada. I just was in a fabrication plant uh, yesterday in Scarborough. They make parts for the resource sector. So if you bring down that resource sector, you bring down manufacturing. And then the other point I wanted to make is I'm so sick of hearing that that the wealthy don't pay their fair share. I know a lot of business owners, they pay a heck of a lot of tax, and, and that's just a way to have class war- warfare. And the other thing I want to specifically talk about with the NDP platform is, yeah, $20 million sounds like a whole huge amount, but there, when you peel back the onion, and I want to understand that, so if a, if a 
manufacturing plant has, owns three plants and employs 100 people in each one all across Ontario, and I know some manufacturing private owners that own three plants, when you add up the cost of their building and their equipment inside and all of that, you, you know, you could get to $20 million. Equipment's expensive. So is the NDP's proposition that if you own three plants and each one is worth, you know, six uh, million when you add in the the equipment and the property. Right. So Are you going to go after them for that? We're not necessarily talking just about individuals on the bridal path, for example. We're talking. Is she is she right about that, Peter? Um, I haven't looked at her analysis figures. But no, I'm I think asking you they, what constitutes say, a twenty million dollar. Well, I think if you've got twenty million dollars in assets to your name, you're actually doing pretty well in this country. You are doing very well in this country, and John, you know it. And a very few people. Uh, are going to be living on the bridal path who don't have twenty million plus in assets. But you're going to, you're going to tax them. But there's two, another point I want to go back year. to, and are, that's this: Are you going to have to shut down a plant to pay your taxes? So, so no, and of throw not, people John. annually? Of, yeah, of course not. Annually, yes. Uh, Do you understand that the not, margins, Jocelyn, you know that. the average margins in manufacturing is five percent? I don't think people realize that. So you might have a lot of assets, and you might be employing a lot of people, but that is again a, a, a strategy that's thrown out without any. Uh, analysis, which which I see a lot of times the left does. They don't get with businesses. It used to be that politicians and business would get together and decide where they wanted to go, and they would come up with a path. But no more. They Politicians, specifically on the left, throw stuff against the wall, as you said, oh. without costing, without thinking of the unintended consequences, and that is why we have manufacturing fleeing out of this country. Is that like Doug Ford borrowing $2.5 billion a year to reduce hydro rates? for everyone but you. Um, do, do you think that's a good idea? He's just copying what the Liberals were doing. Do you think that's a good idea? Do you I think, think it was a we, good idea? I think we need affordable energy in yeah. this province, and I think we need to understand why it's not affordable. Yeah. And, and I'm telling you that... Do you think it's a good idea to borrow $2.5 billion a year to keep hydro rates down, to continue what Kathleen Wynne did? Absolutely. I think we... Absolutely oh, not. I know. Absolutely not. I think we need to think outside of the box, because we need to keep manufacturing in this province, and you have and do, borrowing that is not a good idea. Well, but then you can tell sit, Doug Ford that. You could sit down with the manufacturers and we could talk about all of the different alternatives to getting electricity affordable in this province. But yeah. that, but Doug and, Ford... And, and you know Doug Kathleen Ford, Wynne gave $2.6 billion uh, uh, to the on. investors of Hydro One when it was privatized, uh, and Doug Ford's not so, acting to get that back okay, to help Hydro so you've customers also, you've also let Doug Ford inherited the poor green policies, green energy policies, where they were paying $0.92 cents a kilowatt hour to wind and solar when, when we were paying $0.22 cents and the growing rate is $0.06. Cents. So he He's inherited this mess. And he's um, continuing it. At, well, and he's and not part, taking any action and on part it. Of you the know issues, that. If you, United States has better statistics on this, but if you look in 1947, um, the wealthiest people in the United States paid about 56% tax rate. And the, the uh, middle income and lower income is paid about, you know, about 44, 47. Here we are now, all these years later, the wealthiest tax rate is down to 23%. The effective tax rate of middle-income earners is still around 47%, so nothing changed. I think we have to look realistically and say we're not talking about small businesses and manufacturers. We're talking about these monolithic corporations. And, you know, it's like the, the steel industry in the turn of the century, at the last turn of the last century, where you had, uh, you know, the robber barons and everything else and antitrust things in the United States. They broke them up, and Teddy Roosevelt had, you know, endless battles trying to break these up. You have these monolithic corporations who shift around tens of billions 
thousands of dollars and pay no tax. You know, the United Kingdom has a whole thing going on. I won't say the name of the company, but there's several of these big retailers who are American-based retailers who are operating in the United Kingdom. Um, one of them, a big coffee company, who paid zero taxation. They managed to effectively pay no tax. All right. What you're saying is then uh, you're agreeing with Peter Tabbins that if you tax uh, the people with high Net well, not wealth. even the people, maybe the corporations. Or the corporations, and yeah. you'll make up the shortfall, and everybody, all the boats are going to rise with the tide, and uh, you can pay for these promises like uh, free dental care, pharmacare, right across the board. Uh, well, you would you would oppose Medicare if we were bringing it in today. I would not have opposed Medicare. <laughs> no, right. you would. No, I'm no, just Peter. listening to no, you. You know how no. much it would cost but to bring those, in Medicare if we didn't have programs it? Too, those programs like dental care and pharmacare, they're actually, if you look at the, the, the research on them, they're actually more cost-efficient in the long run because treating people's dental problems and treating people's pharma, you know, pharma pharmaceutical problems and the challenges they have with pharmaceuticals actually saves money in the long run because they're not going to acute care in hospitals and everything else as a result of not having access to that. Well, exactly. I understand that argument's been made before. The other problem, though, is pharmacare. You've already got people in individual plans or with company plans and so on. Are you going to tear that all up? Well, uh, we used to have that to... with Medicare, too. All I remember right. when I was a kid. On The Oakley Show, Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. Thanks for listening to the John Oakley Show podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe for free at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere else you get your on-demand audio.